Hello, everyone. Today we have with us Peter Cunningham, CEO at Evolve Healthcare Marketing. Evolve is a result-driven digital marketing agency focused exclusively on potential acquisition performance improvement for multi-site medical practices. Uh, Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate that. Peter, tell us about your journey, how you decided to start a healthcare marketing agency. Sure. Originally, this is my third business, but originally I had a corporate PR firm. So a lot of that was in private equity and real estate, and then circled back to, to marketing and specifically set up really a consulting practice to be an outsourced chief marketing officer for private equity-backed healthcare businesses. And what happened is over time, what began as a consulting business really morphed in 2017 to being a full-fledged digital agency specializing in patient acquisition. How, how big is the team right now? We have about 20 people. It's also impressive. You have served organizations across 17 different specialities. Can you discuss the challenges that arise when you're marketing for such diverse healthcare sectors? Sure. So I would say in the interesting couple of years, so I'm going to answer that in two parts. First is that COVID really impacted the business of healthcare in really two ways. Uh, and that really has encompassed about three years of period of time. Uh, first, obviously, shutdowns of elective and other uh, surgeries and elective procedures and that type of thing. But then what made it worse was the labor issues right. where they couldn't hire people to answer the phones, clean the rooms, do procedures. And that lasted longer than the shutdowns. And so I would say in January this year, things started opening up again into the new normal. Right. And it's been a bit game busters uh, since then. Now, with that said, I would say during that period, things shifted a bit. Yeah. And there's been a lot of private equity in the space. Uh, prior to COVID, it was about, they were sources, yeah. industry sources would say there was about 1.4 trillion of private equity dollars sloshing around and zeroing on consolidation of medical practices and that type of thing. Post-COVID, it's over two, it's almost two and a half trillion because a lot of monies that were maybe allocated for other industry sectors moved over to healthcare, which is deep recession proof. So you've got a lot of money going in. And I would say between the money and the private equity dollars investment, the changes in the market dynamics with COVID. I'd say the hot areas, behavioral health is huge, yeah. anxiety, depression, IOP programs, addiction programs, all that areas, pretty significant, as well as specialty practices like allergy, ENT, orthopedic, so on and so forth. Each is some different animal. There's yeah. also a yeah, medicine. Absolutely. local. Every market's different. The competitive landscape is very different New York City Metro than it is in Long Island. Yeah. You know, yeah. The cost of a click is very different and so on and so forth. So, so the big thing to answer your question is how do you uh, really customize 
the campaign by service line, by market, relative to the competitive landscape. And that's the needle that needs to be thread. I think also with a niche like this, you have regulations, but you also, there's so many regulations to take care of when you're marketing for a particular practice also. Like there are things where you have restrictions, you have certifications needed, and then you also have nuances to it. So as a marketing agency or as a marketer working in healthcare, from an agency standpoint, what are the prerequisites? Like if somebody wants to look at healthcare as a niche, what are the things that he or she should actually keep into consideration before entering such a niche? I would say a few things. In terms of specific uh, compliance issues with healthcare, there's a general one, which is the American Disabilities Act, which is beyond healthcare. So now American Disabilities Act or ADA now does apply to websites. And unfortunately, basically what happened is someone who was legally blind sued Domino's Pizza, won a lawsuit for 30 million. And since then, tens of thousands of lawsuits have been filed against organizations that have consumer facing websites for lack of compliance. And it's pretty easy fix with some widgets like Accessibility, for example, to make a website compliant. But the, on average, the settlements on these lawsuits are about 50,000. I have a client, newer client that settled one last year, quarter of a million. And it's pretty insane. So there's that. And a lot of medical practice websites, as well as other industry websites are not ADA compliant. Then there's healthcare specific. So HIPAA compliance. So CMS, a government agency issued in December of 22, new guidance around HIPAA compliance as it relates to websites and data collection of websites, digital applications like Google ads, Facebook ads, and so forth. And the short of it is it's made things a good, good bit more stringent. And the vast majority of medical practices are not compliant with, from a, a website or a digital marketing perspective, given this new guidance. For a marketing agency to decide to move into this realm, uh, they definitely are going to need a point of, to educate themselves and create a point of view as well as a technology stack to execute for clients in a HIPAA compliant way. How do you differentiate yourself in this niche market? What is Evolve's unique selling proposition? So our unique proposition is basically measurable, quantifiable ROI. Our goal right. is to create a predictable and profitable pipeline of new patients or new leads, if you will which is what every business owner wants or anyone running a business wants. What we are able to do because of our specialization is we're actually able to do a few things. We can look at what someone's already doing. They're doing uh, digital marketing, how they compare to industry benchmarks as well as our benchmarks, which are right. typically three to four X that of the industry averages. And we can benchmark them to see how well they're doing or not. We can also see if they're HIPAA compliant in all the different facets and so on. And then the additional thing is because we can do that, 
we can actually develop performers that basically educate them on if they invest X, they should expect Y in terms of number of new leads. And then based on other attributes, such as what's the estimated value of a new patient, what's their front desk conversion rate estimate or reality, we can predict how much money they should be making. And on average, programs generate about a seven to 10 X return on investment in the first four months of a pilot. So that's what we do. That's a little different. I think like on average, consistently maintaining that seven to 10 X ROI is in itself very impressive. And you have your own processes and the reporting formats you have for that. Like that definitely speaks a lot. Yeah. Yes. And I would also say meaningful reporting. So unfortunately, a lot of the reporting with the practices that we talk to that are looking to make a change, one of their biggest complaints, aside from not being able to articulate an ROI and their spend, is actual meaningful reporting. It's not advanced tricks. It's actually meaningful where they can clearly understand this is what was invested. This is what they got from it. And from a return on investment standpoint. And I think that a lot of agencies have reporting. Some have very little reporting, which is troublesome. But then there's others that do have reporting. But again, it's a lot of vanity metrics, which frankly, most of these clients, particularly healthcare, don't understand the relevance of it. In many cases, it's not really relevant. So that's what we do is we, and because we, I have a private equity background, a lot of my clients are private equity back. There's a higher uh, expectation on analytics and reporting that's meaningful. Right. What are the most common marketing mistakes medical practices make when you talk to them, you do the discovery? What are the most common mistakes you feel they make? Where do I begin? So as part of our process in talking with someone's a potential new client will oftentimes do, like I said, do an assessment of what they're already doing. Right. So for example, and we can break that in the book on the website. What is the organic growth of that traffic on what's most important? What's the conversion rate of the website? So the goal, obviously with the website is to get leads. Right. People call them, fill out a form. On average, medical practice websites, conversion rates about 6%. Right. Percent performers, you run 21% or more. Um, I'd say issue number one is having a poorly performing website. Those are leads you don't have to pay for. Yep. Uh, number two on the digital campaigns, not again, we have benchmarks on performance by specific specialty and so forth. Yeah. Uh, I would say that there's a lot of campaigns out there that we're seeing that these practices are doing that don't have landing pages are not structured properly from a technological standpoint to track conversions properly. And there's just frankly, a lot of poor performing campaigns because they're not following best practices. And it's typically a freelancer they're working with or an agency they're working with. That's a generalist that's trying to make it happen there. And, uh, and failing. Like when you talk about a medical, like you said, a medical website, landing pages, not being there, website, not converting. I think also 
content like forms a major part of medical practice because anybody who wants like medical advice by a persona, like they want to research about who to go to and all of that stuff. So content becomes critical. So from an agency standpoint, I understand medical practices having in-house people that are writing content from, from an agency standpoint, like what is the best way to handle that? Like which writers to hire? Do you hire like specialists doing medical practice or from a content standpoint, what is the best strategy from like from an agency? From an agency standpoint, yeah, yeah. the answer is it depends. The truth is that for medical practices, if you're talking like a website, for example, you could do general information, but if you start getting into specific information on specific um, ailments, you need to have a writer that really is a medical writer that understands the nuances and have that information validated by the clinician or one of the clinicians. The challenge also with that is things are constantly changing. If you go that route where, yeah, yes, you have the main pages, you might have, you know, general information about, hey, who, here's who we are. This is what we do. This is how we're different. But as soon as you go into the, the procedure specific pages, which makes sense from an SEO standpoint, it's going to be ongoing work. You need to make sure that it's clinically appropriate and that it's continuously being updated. So that can get a little pricey, but it's also can be worth the investment because the deeper you get with those certain ailments, the, the more on-site SEO benefit that you'll have. How do you tackle the SEO versus SEM issue when you're planning a strategy? Most of our clients being in healthcare are not active marketers relative to under other industries. They're not typically extremely sophisticated marketers, like in the SaaS business or what have you, or e-commerce into a certain extent. In a lot of cases, we're actually starting from zero mm -hmm. or in a lot of cases, actually, <laughs> we're actually starting behind zero because there's a lot of bad issues with the website. And yeah, so. with the basic stuff. Yeah, exactly. So we have to go foundational. And so foundational is making sure that the website is technically sound. So the technical SEO is sound, that the on-site SEO is sound from a foundational standpoint. And then we jump into paid digital ads, which is really the cash register. Yeah. And so now SEO is long term, prop, term proposition, the paid ads, that's the cash register, right? They invest this, they're going to get that in a fairly short period of time. Once we are executing on the, we lay a strong foundation for everything. And because that website's critical, making sure that's sound is critical for the digital ads to perform. We execute on the digital ads and then we let that incremental revenue then help fund the journey to then enhance the website where we can start getting into expanding on-site on content, start getting into off-site CL and those types of things. Online booking becomes so critical for a medical practice because that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to increase the patient acquisition. So what are the pros and cons a medical practice owner should know 
before purchasing an online booking service? Like any suggestions, any good ones? I'm going to answer this, take it a slightly different direction. And this also gets into mistakes that people make and practices make. And the truth is that healthcare is done retail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People talk about consumer-driven healthcare today. And that's true. And as part of that, in a world where people are using Amazon, for example, to buy a pair of shoes or groceries or whatever and have it delivered immediately, their expectations for engagement with a provider are much higher than they were even a couple of years ago. Couple things we know. Number one, one mistake a lot of people make is actually on reviews. So right. that's listing. Anyone, any medical provider that has less than 30 reviews or under four stars has a significant challenge. Who wants to go to a orthopedic surgeon that has 3.7 stars? Not many. Yeah. Right. So that's a big mistake. And this gets into the patient engagement side. Then when it comes to actual patient engagement, they're looking for an orthopedic surgeon, just making this up. They're looking at different sites and they Google my business listing, say, look, they see, oh, they have favorable reviews. Let's go to the website. Okay. These guys look like they specialize specifically in my ailment. And then they look to book an employment. The question is, how quickly, how efficiently can they get in? Now, one of the, one of the challenges with big hospitals and health systems is mm-hmm. there may oftentimes be this big bureaucracy you have to go through and a big long waiting list. Yeah. One of the benefits of an independent medical practice is that they typically have more flexibility to and are more nimble can get them in quicker. So that's an advantage. Unfortunately, a lot of these practices haven't fully capitalized on that. Mm-hmm. So when you call in to, to make an appointment, do you get right in to talk to someone or are you lost in a phone tree? Yeah. And yeah. That's a big issue. And then people just hang up because they're frustrated. Can they book online an appointment? Pick the day and the time and then book it. Bam. Right there. I don't know the exact figure, but probably less than 10% of the medical practices have that ability. And there's a lot of different systems for being able to do this. Text message, messaging, so two-way texting. Again, that's something that would help people be able to book more appointments. Yeah. Takes the function out. Again, less than 10%, probably less than 5% of the other folks out there have that capability. Now, who are the different vendors? There's a million of them. There's a lot of different practice management systems, EHR systems that are broad-based across specialties and then ones that are specific to specialty. They all have their pros and cons. There are no silver bullets. At the end of the day, it just comes down to what works best for that particular organization. It's internal workflows and so forth to get the most juice out of the lemon. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like you said, a very good line, like medical gone retail. It makes it more important, not only to book appointments, but then also to engage and retain your customers. So you need to have separate campaigns going on for that as well. Like any particular strategy follow for that? Oh yeah. So as you 
again, it depends on the specialty, it depends on the location, it depends on the competitive landscape, but there's a lot of ways of slicing and dicing it. But I will call out another big thing that these providers need to do. That's also a, an occasional common mistake. We recently had a paid practice as a client. We launched their digital campaign, performing really well. We apply call attribution software so we know, and they know how many calls are coming in from where and so forth. But then when, as we were listening in, in a HIPAA compliant way to these calls to the front desk, we found out that the front desk staff were turning people away because the first question was, Hey, who referred you? (laughs) And the old school way of doing things, particularly for that type of specialty is they would only take patients that were referred by a primary care doctor or another doctor. The world's changed. The number of PCPs, primary care providers out there shrinking big time and has been. So trying to live by referrals only is a kiss of death. And ultimately what happened is we, we ended up uh, exiting the relationship because though the CEO was all about consumer driven healthcare, the doctors weren't, and they didn't want to change their way of doing things in terms of getting patients from PCPs and the world just doesn't work that way anymore. So I think they're going to have a real tough time next couple of years until they fix that. So the point is that we have to look at everything holistically. How do people source, evaluate, and choose specialty care? And there's different choke points in each of those, in each of those steps. So the idea really is to identify those choke points and try to alleviate them, whether it's recalibrating and retraining your internal staff who answer the phones to be customer friendly and answer the phone with a smile on their face and not care that they are self-referred, embrace it to the phone system, not having a complicated phone tree that irritates people, established two-way text messaging and online scheduling capabilities on the website, have appropriate content to support their decision-making and all those types of things. Again, we look at it more holistically, so it goes beyond digital marketing tactics and goes broader to that to also include technology stack and operational effectiveness. Peter, tell us your favorite client story. My favorite client story. That's a great question. I would say there's a current client we have that's a behavioral health practice that when we first began talking, I, and essentially what they do is they have therapists to provide treatment for depression, anxiety, that type of thing. And they're a good size practice and of two locations. And when we did an assessment, they were doing digital marketing previously. He didn't, he wasn't getting the results he wanted. He just didn't know why and nor should he, he's, he's a clinician. So when we assessed what was being done, a long story short is that they had a sub, I think it was like a plate two conversion rate on their PPC ads. And there were a variety of reasons for this, just 
the goals were not sent up properly, Google Analytics, Google Ads, the landing page was non-existent, they had wrong phone numbers, it just a whole series of problems. And net is a, a cost of a lead was costing them over nearly $1,800 for the cost of a lead for a patient that, you know, might net them $1,500, not a good business case. So we went in, we did our pro forma, we started executing to it. And today he's down his cost of a lead, his lead system is predictable, profitable. His cost of a lead is under $50 and dropping further, probably get it down to 25, $30. And, and he's given demand for what they do. He's been able to grow. I think he's added almost 20, actually 20 new providers just this year because of, right. because we've helped fix this process for him. And so he's a happy camper and he's, and the great part of it is as an independent practice, they're really good providers and they've earned the right to be independent, but there's a lot of competition and, and so we're helping them solve that problem and they're growing predictably and profitably and yeah, nothing's getting. Right. Awesome. Your advice to a medical practice, one, they get negative reviews or negative publicity, like how to handle that? Sure. And I have a person on my team, that's one of the things that they do counsel on. So I'll, I'll try to speak high level. I know enough to be dangerous on that particular topic, but I would say that it's having the right technology. It begins with having the right technology for getting reviews. And there's Google reviews, which everyone knows. And that's the first thing people look at with Google My Business Listing, of course. And you want that over 30 reviews and over four down. So you want technology that can create some automated workflows so that you can proactively be growing that number. Over time, texting folks after a procedure, emailing them, have it all automated so that you can crank that number up big time. So that's number one. Number two is it's not just about Google. It's also about health grades, vitals, and some other platforms where you put reviews for specifically for healthcare reviews and providers. So having in that system to be able to do the same thing and allocate those reviews, both clinical as well as Google. So I think that's important. And then lastly, I think it's, and they call it service recovery, is having the ability to flag when someone is complaining online so that some, it's A, flagged, and B, can be addressed immediately. In some cases, maybe it's, Someone's upset because of a mistake they're built. It's very common right. in healthcare. Being able to flag that and reach out and address the situation in many cases helps turn around the relationship. You use the the negatives and create it in, and make it into an opportunity to build a better relationship with that person and get them to come back. When you don't jump on it, you don't address it, you don't resolve it. You just have an unhappy person who then, of course, as they say in marketing, goes and tells 10 other people that they were unhappy with you. 
which is not good. So that at a high level, that's what I would recommend. What are some challenges and opportunities you foresee in healthcare in the next five years? Challenges and opportunities. As I said earlier, I believe, you know, breaking this down, about 60% of our clients are private equity back. They're doing private equity firm buys a larger practice, a platform practice. They invest money into growing it organically as, through, as well as through additional acquisition. That's happening across, across both of these. That is going, given the amount of dry powder out there, that's just, that is going to continue over the next number of years. So there is the pro and the con with that for the providers themselves. The pro is number one is if you're a really good provider, clinician, physician, you've earned the right to be independent. And so there, this is a great time to be that. There's definitely challenges in owning a private practice, but there's a lot of opportunity. So if they want to grow it and sell it to one of those private equity firms to cash out, they can absolutely do that in an unprecedented way today. The negative is if they want to continue to be independent, they have to have compete with those folks that are doing the private equity deals. But in there, there's also opportunities to, on how to compete against them and so forth. So I think, again, there's a lot of pros, a lot of cons, but at the end of the day, if you want to be an independent provider, you're a really good provider, you have, you've earned the right to do that. There's lots of opportunities to differentiate yourself from the hospitals and health systems. And that's getting easier and easier to do, by the way, uh, as well as be able to build something up and, and get capital investment if and when you want to do it. Peter, in the end, I like playing a quick rapid fire round of three to five questions. Yeah. Ready? Yep. Perfect. Coffee or tea? Tea. Favorite book? Ego is the Enemy. Brian, how your last Google search, if you remember. My last Google search actually was just best steakhouse Chicago. <laughs> nice. Nice. Peter, thank you so much for your time. It was fun chatting with you. Thank you for the insights. Really had a good time. Thank you. I really appreciate it.